listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and there you can share your own thoughts and insights about today's readings with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who have proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 275, and we are reading from Volume 4, The Introduction, paragraphs 10 to 17. 10. By this instruction of my heavenly lady, mother and teacher, my soul was replenished with new light and with the desire of obeying her in all things. I renewed my good resolutions, I resolved to raise myself by the help of divine grace, and I strove to prepare myself for the fulfillment of the will of the Most High without resistance. I availed myself of my bodily condition by which, as mentioned above, my sensibility to mortification had been so much enlivened and increased. But the demon abated not in his strife and opposition. He knew that the enterprise I was to assume was very arduous, and that the state to which the Lord raised me was a refuge, but one far above human weakness and earthly dullness, Gladly will I confess this truth, and the slowness caused by my frailty and sluggishness. I acknowledge that the Lord had labored with me during my whole life, in order to raise me from the dust and from the dunghill of my vileness, multiplying his blessings and favors beyond all my comprehension. Moreover, he has seconded all these blessings by the aid of his right hand, in order to gain his end. I cannot at present mention all that he did for me, but at the same time it seems unjust to pass it over in silence entirely, since it will show to what misery sin has brought us, and what distance there is between the capacity of the reasoning creature and the summit of virtue and perfection it can attain. It will also show what it costs to restore man to that capacity. 11. Some years before writing this, I was repeatedly favored with an extraordinary blessing at the hands of God. It was a sort of death to all the animal and terrestrial operations like that of civil death. And this state was followed by another, which was one of new enlightenment and of more exalted operations. But since the soul always remains clothed in mortal and earthly corruption, I continue to feel the heavy weight of my flesh, overwhelming and degrading the soul. Wisdom 9.15 Unless the Lord renews his wonders and favors me with the assistance of divine grace. On that occasion, this renewal was wrought in me through the mother of piety, who, speaking to me in a vision, said, Take heed, my daughter, 
that now thou must begin to live not thy own life, but the life of thy spouse, Christ, in thee. Galatians 2.20 He is to be the life of thy soul and the soul of thy life. For this purpose I wish to cause in thee the death of thy old life, which has so far operated in thee, and establish in thee the new life which we ask of thee. Let it then today be known to heaven and earth that Sister Mary of Jesus, my daughter and servant, dies to the world, and that the Most High works this change, in order that this soul may live only to what faith teaches. Just in natural death all things are left behind. So shall this, my daughter, thus freed by her last will and testament, consign her soul to her Creator and Redeemer, and her body to the earth of self-knowledge and patient suffering. Of this soul my divine Son and I shall take charge, in order to fulfill entirely his holy will, if she will obey us promptly. We will celebrate her exequies with our courtiers, in order to bury her in the bosom of the divine humanity of the word, which is the sepulcher of those that die to the world while still in mortal life. From now on she must not live in her own self, nor for herself, after the fashion of Adam, but in all things she is now to manifest in her life the life of Christ, who is her life. I shall beseech him to look kindly upon this deceased one, and to receive her soul as his own, to acknowledge her as a stranger and pilgrim, living not on earth, but in the higher and divine regions. I shall instruct the angels to accept her as a companion, and to treat and converse with her as if she were freed from mortal flesh. 12. I command the demons to let alone this dead one, just as they must let alone the other dead who are not under their jurisdiction, and in whom they have no part. For from this day on she shall be more dead to visible things than those who have passed from this world. I conjure men to lose her out of sight, and forget her as they forget the dead, in order that they may thus allow her to remain in peace and tranquility. And thee I command and exhort, that thou consider thyself as one who has finished life in this world, and has entered eternal life in the presence of the Most High. I desire thee to imitate the life of the blessed in faith, since the certainty and assurance of truth is the same for thee as for them. Thy conversation is to be on high, thy intercourse with the Lord of all creation and thy spouse. Thy conference shall be with the angels and saints, and thou must rivet thy whole attention upon me, thy mother and teacher. For all the rest that is earthly and visible, thou must have neither movement of life, nor any activity, nor more than a dead body, which shows no feeling of life in response to anything that may happen to it, or may be done with it. Neither must difficulties inquiet thee, nor flattery or pleasures affect thee. Thou must not respond to injuries, nor be elated by honors. Let neither presumption inflate thee, nor mistrust cast thee down. Thou must not give consent to any feeling of concupiscence or anger, because thy model in all these passions must be a dead body, already freed from all of them. Nor must thou have any more dealings with the world than the dead. For the world immediately forgets those whom it has praised in life, and to such an extent that thou, they be father or brother, and the most intimate relatives it hastens to put them out of sight. All this the deceased permit without a murmur or a feeling of offense, nor do the dead make any account of the living, much less do they attend to them or anything they may have left among their survivors. 13. Having thus died to thyself, it remains for thee to consider thyself as the food of worms, fit only for the vilest corruption. 
Thus shalt thou bury thyself in the earth of thy self-knowledge, in order that thy senses and passions may not presume to give forth their bad odor in the sight of the Lord, nor like an ill-covered and half-buried corpse may not presume to give forth its bad odor in the presence of the Lord and of those that have entered the blessed life. Let thy horror of showing any signs of life, or of not being entirely mortified in the sight of thy God and of the saints, be much greater than that caused by unburied bodies among men. The use of thy senses, such as sight, hearing, touch, and others, for the purpose of entertainment or delight, should be a greater surprise and offense to thee than to see a corpse moving about. By this death thou shalt be prepared and fit to be the only spouse of my divine Son, and my true and most beloved disciple and daughter. Such is the state which I require of thee, and so high is the wisdom which I am to teach thee in following my footsteps and in imitating my life reproducing in thyself as far as is granted thee all my virtues. This should be the fruit of recording the wonders and sacraments of my sanctity manifested to thee by the Lord. I wish that they escape not the secrecy of thy bosom, and be made known without having moved thee to the perfect fulfillment of the will of my divine Son, and of mine which tends to nothing else than toward thy own highest perfection. Drink, then, the waters of wisdom from their fountainhead, the Saviour, there is no reason why thou shouldst remain void and unsatiated of that which thou art to administer to others, nor that thou shouldst finish writing their history without deriving the fruits of this blessing. Prepare thy heart then for this death, which I urge upon thee, and thou shalt attain thy wishes and mine. 14. Such were the words of the great lady of heaven to me on this occasion, and on many others. She has repeated this teaching of the salutary and eternal life. Of these teachings I have written much in the chapters of the first and second part, and shall continue to do so in the third part. From all this my sluggishness and ingratitude towards such great benefits is very apparent. For though this great queen and her divine son have so often promised to raise me to a most exalted state and habitation, once I die to the earth and to myself, and though in their divine kindness they now promise it freely and anew, Yet I find myself continually backward in virtue, and much entangled in the pursuits of the daughter of Adam. This state is a solitude and desert, created for the soul in the midst of the surrounding creatures. In it, my soul has no intercourse with the rest of visible creatures, but enjoys the presence and the communications of the Lord, of his holy mother and the angels, and at the same time permitting all its activity and all its dealings, to be governed by the promptings of the divine will for God's greater glory and honor. 15. During the whole course of my life from earliest childhood, the Most High has exercised me in continual infirmities, sorrows, and other molestations of creatures. But with the advance of years, he increased also the sufferings of another kind of trial, which made me forget much of those already suffered in the past. It was like a two-edged sword which divided my soul and spirit, as the Apostle says. This trial was that constant fear of which I have so often spoken, and for which I have been reprehended in this history. Much of it I felt even from childhood, but it developed and rose to the highest pitch. Since my entrance into religion, where I applied myself entirely to the spiritual life and experienced the manifestations of the Lord to my soul, since that time... God has placed me upon the cross, or into the winepress of the heart, namely, permitting me to remain in the continual dread of not being on the right path, of being deceived, or of having lost the grace and friendship of God. 
My difficulties were much augmented by the publicity which some persons incautiously, and in my great grief, gave to my affairs, and by the tears with which others filled me at my danger. So deeply rooted in my heart was this terror, that it has never ceased and could never be allayed by the satisfaction and complete assurances of my confessor and superiors, nor by their kind encouragement, nor by their corrections, nor by the many other means they used for this purpose. What is more, although the angels and the Queen of Heaven and the Lord himself continually reassured and soothed me, and although I feel myself free in their presence, yet, as soon as I issue from this sphere of divine light, I am again assailed with incredible violence. This might be recognized as the cruel machination of the infernal dragon, if my troubles, afflictions, and fears had not the appearance of arising from other sources than the devil. This fiend especially assails me whenever I am about to open my heart to my confessors, particularly to the superior who directs me, for nothing does this prince of darkness fear more than the light and the power possessed by the ministers of the Lord. 16. In the bitterness of this sorrow and the most ardent desire of grace and of not losing God, I have lived many years, and the various and numerous happenings amid this constant strife I cannot record. The root of this fear, I believe, was holy, but many of its branches have been fruitless, although the divine wisdom knew how to use them all for his different ends. On this account, he permitted the enemy to avail himself of the blessings of the Lord for my affliction. For the inordinate fear which hinders the good, though it appear to imitate ever so much the good, is evil and of the demon. My afflictions have at times reached such a pass that I considered it a great gain not to lose the life of my body, and especially that of my soul. But the Lord, whom the winds and the waves obey, and whom all things serve, who gives nourishment to every creature in opportune time, has now, in his condescension, wished to give peace to my spirit, in order that I might enjoy more tranquility in writing the rest of this history. It is some years ago that the Lord consoled me and promised me peace and interior quiet before I should die, informing me at the same time that the dragon is so furious against me, because he suspects there is little time left him for persecution. 17. In order to set about writing this third part, the Lord on a certain day with singular condescension and complacency spoke to me as follows. My dearest spouse, I wish to alleviate thy pains and moderate thy afflictions. Quiet thyself, my dove, and rest securely in the sweetness of my love and of my powerful and kingly word. For I assure thee upon this word that it is I who speak to thee and who have selected thy paths according to my pleasure. It is I that lead thee along these ways. It is I, the same one that is at the right hand of the Eternal Father, and present in the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, in the species of the bread. I give thee this assurance in order that thou quiet and convince thyself. For I do not wish thee, my dearest, to be my slave, but my daughter and spouse, and I desire thee to enjoy my gifts and delights. Enough of fears and of bitterness hast thou suffered. Let peace and tranquility enter into thy afflicted heart. Such favors and assurances of the Lord often repeated, one would think, should not be humiliating, but should afford only the greatest joy. But they are of such a kind that they abase the heart to the lowest dust and fill me with solicitude and anxiety. Those that think different have little experience and are only slightly capable of the secret operations of the Most High. It is certain that I have been instructed in many new things interiorly, 
and was much alleviated in the troubles and temptations caused by these disorderly fears. But the Lord is so wise and powerful that on the one hand he assures, and on the other he stirs up the soul, injecting new fear of falling, and thereby preserving it in the knowledge and humiliation of self. This concludes our reading today for day number 275. We've been reading from volume 4, the introduction, paragraphs 10 to 17. A great reminder to us is that Christ is the life of our soul. That's what Maria of Agreda is being told by the Blessed Mother today. He is to be the life of thy soul and the soul of thy life. And then, in another place, But in all things, she is now to manifest in her the life of Christ, who is her life. So, in this reading, and in the context of these quotes, it's really talking about that quote from Galatians. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That there has to be a death to self. And when there is a death to self and Christ lives in you, then we hear, I command the demons to let alone this dead one, just as they must let alone the other dead who are not under their jurisdiction. So if we allow Christ to live in us with this complete detachment of the world, well then, perhaps, as it's suggested here, temptation and evil will assault us less and less. Another thing we heard in our reading today was that she writes, This fiend especially assails me. Whenever I'm about to open my heart to my confessors, particularly to the superior who directs me, for nothing does this prince of darkness fear more than the light and the power possessed by the ministers of the Lord. Now this is a spiritual principle of St. Ignatius of Loyola, that we should bring to the light certain things, that we shouldn't hide them. Because if we hide them and we don't give them to the Lord, well, then the Lord cannot act. So we bring it to the light. For example, if I'm in the sacrament of reconciliation and there's a sin, but I'm not bringing it to the light, well, then that sin, first of all, is not forgiven, but then it cannot be exposed to the grace of Jesus Christ. So it's important today, as we hear in our readings, two things, to die to self, to let Christ live his life in us, and to bring things to the light. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.